so he was running almost like the first post big tech campaign. I, I feel like a lot of political campaigns are quite behind what's actually going on. Like people are like, oh my God, oh, oh the most ridiculous thing I saw somebody saying, Bloomberg's paying uh, paying oh, influencers God, yeah. to talk about him. Brands should do this. Like, you, yeah. where have you been? Like, like, where do you like? <laughs> what planet are you from? I know, like, do you use Instagram? <laughs> yeah, no, it's the same things when they said that like Russian trolls like like you know swung in the election. It's like, do you know that they were using very basic marketing tactics that have been in the field for twenty years? Okay. So I was reading in the um, the LA Times uh, yeah. about the future of Andrew Yang's campaign <laughs> and Freedom Dividends, which was the UBI proposal that really kind of put the Yang campaign on the map nationally yeah. and uh, advanced that discussion. How did you get involved with the Yang campaign and, and what uh, what was it that, that made him the candidate for you? There are a, lo a lot of reasons. I don't know. I got, I initially discovered him during the uh, the first uh, Democratic debate, the one in June, where his mic got cut. Mm. Um, and I just remember, I was like, who the hell is this guy? Um, I mean, like, my, so I'm half Filipino. Uh, my mom, my mom is white. My dad's Asian. And my dad has, like, been talking to me about, like, the robots coming for my, our jobs my entire life. My dad wow. is like, <laughs> my dad is like, immigrated with his parents from the Philippines when he was two and he like is a super techie dude and like made my gmail account the day I was born like mm -hmm. like that so like I don't know um Andrew reminded me of, I was like what is a guy like this doing on the debate stage and I, was, I was like how did you get here so I googled him because I was like how did you get here I remember the one thing he said about the one thing he said at that debate like when he dropped Martin Luther King's name into it I was like okay like I'm gonna listen to this guy I honestly don't understand I feel like that wasn't a common path that a lot of people took or at least they haven't said it publicly but like as soon as he was like oh this was literally what Martin Luther King Jr. was championing when he was assassinated by the U.S. government I was like okay so it's ob so like it's obviously not a gimmick like I don't know I feel like I went through those phases very quickly and like I mean, like he was serious. It wasn't yeah, the yeah. give me, give me the bag meme joke. It was like, he was like, this is important oh, yeah, yeah, for, yeah. I, for human flourishing. The wave memes after. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but um, yeah. And I mean, also like I was in, like, I was in a pretty precarious financial situation at that time. So like, him, like him coming like on the, on the television screen and being like, you know, like this is what will help people. It's like, I could already like see the way that it would help me fill those cracks in my life. And like, I don't know. I was like, okay, he is talking about me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I, uh, I told you when we invited you on that we had to get the, uh, the socialist perspective about freedom <laughs> dividends out yeah. there. And I'll just say that I yeah. got blocked by Scott Stratton early in the Yang campaign about for Sam. arguing <laughs> with, with Scott and Andrew yeah. about, <laughs> the 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 critique is simply that a UBI that um, requires people to give up other benefits uh -huh. that are that are benefits based on need, um, but still gives UBI to and then it's not U, UBI it's just BI right because the rich people get it, uh, but the poor people yeah. who are on some form of public assistance have to choose. Right, uh, right. you know, the larger of a thousand or their current benefits. Right, so right. I, I felt like that was a step back. Um, but 
the step forward was that everybody's talking about this. Yes. Um, what, what was it like to work on the campaign? Where do I start? <laughs> um, definitely one of the most. Oh, also, is it okay if I address the welfare thing really fast? Yeah, yeah, please. I'm not going to like fight with you or anything, but like. <laughs> Don't block. You can't block me because it's my show. I'm not, I'm not blocking you. Like you have good memes. Okay. Um, but I, a lot of the wealth, the welfare thing, a lot of it is about stigma and a lot of it is also about like, I mean, I agree that um, that was something that I was apprehensive about too. It's like, oh, like we're kicking these people, like these people have to choose between this. Like, what does that imply? Like, what does that imply? And like, especially when he does, like when he does bring out the talking point that's like, yeah, Jeff Bezos can take it if he wants. Like, I understand like the, like the why, obviously. I think something that helped me understand this and sort of helped me orient my worldview to see like, where he was getting with this is like watching this TED talk that he did like years ago, like before, I think before Trump was elected. So like, obviously he had no, he had no plans to run for president um, or maybe like right after, or like, I don't know, it was a while ago, but um, it's called fixing the flow of human capital. And um, I think that that's a lot. I mean, that is a lot of what his campaign was and still is about is fixing the flow of human capital and his thing with wealth with government welfare is that it's a ceiling whereas the dividend or any basic income of the matter like of that matter is like a floor but i do agree that like we'd need a very specific um plan for like vulnerable people or people with volatile like income situations like during that like sort of transitional period i think that um i don't know i would be, right right i, I guess what what i like is the um the library socialism concept yeah. of, of irreducible minimum, which it, it doesn't, it's not only part of library socialism, right. but right. it's the idea that, that there are human needs uh, right. and that, uh, you know, money, spending money has to come on top of these basic right. needs that everyone has. Um, and right. I know that right now, like one of the biggest tensions in the presidential races with Michael Bloomberg buying everybody up uh, you know, it's like people that need money need jobs, right? And it's hard for us. It's hard for us to say no to bad bosses of any kind. Uh, and if people had what they needed to live, and especially if they had what they needed to live, plus some spending money on top of it, it'd be totally different. And, you know, I think that's kind of with FDR and the public works programs that were government funded yeah. as a response to the depression, you know, you had like people painting murals. Yeah, uh, and getting yeah. paid by the government. And I, I yeah. think, um, you know, I know there's criticisms also of the guaranteed uh, uh, federal jobs, which yeah. is something that Bernie Sanders has talked about. And I'm familiar yeah. with those criticisms. So I don't think it, I do think it's really good to advance the conversation by talking yeah. about human needs. So how yeah. about humanity first? That was also a big yeah. part of his campaign. What yeah. did that mean to you? And what do you think it meant yeah. to others on the, you know, who, who were supporters of um, yeah. Andrew Yang? I mean, like, Something I really, I mean, like, so the foundation of, like, his, um, his sort of theory of human capitalism, like, I feel like a lot, a lot of the time it's misinterpreted as, like, I don't know, here's, like, slightly better version of capitalism, like, here you are, you guys, but, like, um, I sort of interpret it as, like, human capitalism, like, so, like, human capital is what drives this, what drives the economy and these systems, etc., and so it's, like, how do we, so it's sort of like, how are we defining human capital? And I think um, with Andrew's um, 
ideas about adjusting like how we measure national well-being and basically you know being like you know fuck gdp it doesn't make any fucking sense and like mm. you know like people are <laughs> kim there's people that are dying you know <laughs> like um stuff like that i think um i don't know a way that i found to explain it to a lot of voters here in new hampshire it was like um restructuring the economy to prioritize Maslow's hierarchy of needs as the bottom line, like everyone's individual sort of path to abundance and self-actualization. Now I regret being a fly on the wall because I I was like, Maslow, fuck yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Hell yeah. Um, There's a a book I read um, several years ago uh, by... Kurt Vonnegut uh-huh. and it's called Player Piano uh-huh. and it's kind of a uh, paints a dystopian look at a future where uh, people have their needs taken care of by the government and they have mm-hmm. uh, you know they have a basic income uh, and they have jobs um, but they're not fulfilled as individuals right. and I think that there's a there's a kind of a tension between like uh, libertarianism, libertarian mm-hmm. socialism, um, these ideas of like, what, what does freedom mean? Yeah, right. Is, absolutely. is, yeah. And did, do you think that, um, folks are going that deep with the analysis of Andrew's campaign in terms of, you know, choosing whether to support it or not? Um, I think, I think that's a big aspect of it. One of the parts, one of the things I think was very smart on behalf of the campaign was branding the guaranteed minimum income as the freedom dividend. Mm. And I think that like now that we're out of the race, I think it's even more powerful because it's like, until you like, cause he's introduced it into the national, like, you know, he brought it to the national stage and now it's like, am I free? Like, am I free before? Like, so dividend implies that like, you're more than just like, um, a working part you're a, like you're like you're a, a shareholder in america's economy well, yeah like, yeah you're like held you're accountable and like you're accountable to others and also like you are accountable to yourself the freedom dividend and the way that it supercharges individual communities i think would be like one of the most significant things that we could do in terms of like economic mobility and community building in the united states right now i think that um I mean, I don't know how much you guys know about like Andrew's specific funding mechanisms and stuff, but his um his vision sort of does seem like a um I mean, obviously a strain of positive populism that like hasn't been po- like is made possible by like the technological revolution or whatever. Right, because you have like there's a there's a thing where Airbnb is making all this money yeah, off of right people's yeah. homes right that really that money belongs yeah. to the people and their homes exactly. but airbnb and its investor structure and the current structure of exactly. uh, capitalism uh, really like, kind of robs the the person downstream and it, right. it seems like uh, a lot more resources mm-hmm. could be unlocked in a in a sharing economy where people's basic needs were being met yeah exactly and like something that like another scenario that like ended up happening like many times like over the course of my time working on the campaign like so when I first started working with the campaign I didn't have a car and I obviously needed a car because it's New Hampshire and also 
like organizing <laughs> but I was like super broke and like didn't have the money to buy a car and like my um initial deposit like wasn't coming in for a while so I and I had to like you know save up and all that shit and also I'm like two years old and don't have credit mm-hmm. so, like, you know no one wants to sell me a fucking car um but so like I'd have to um and like because I like have a disability like it's really hard for me to like you know wa- like walk ha- like in like the fucking New Hampshire cold to like get food from wherever you know like so I would have to like uh order get like Uber Eats or something and obviously would be super fucking expensive and then like the driver would get there and they'd always and they'd always be super poor and they'd always ask and I always ask if they knew about Andrew and they'd always say no and then when I explained sort of I, I explained the freedom dividend sort of as like a union of citizens against big uh like a union of citizens in a world of big tech sort of like you know um unionizing citizens against big tech so to speak yeah and then they a lot of them would be like oh that does make a lot of sense like you know if like if you had a car you wouldn't be doing this and then the extra money wouldn't be going up to the cloud and then i'd always be like and then i'd tip them in person because like, cause I'd be like, I don't know where the money goes if I do it online. And they'd be like, yeah, I don't really know either. And you just, you just said money going up into the cloud, which I think is a really interesting way to look at it. I mean, I was living in San Francisco until recently and it's just brutal how yeah. the economy there is squeezing people yeah, uh, and cool. they can get these gig jobs to like hang on to their rent controlled apartments, but it's right. like, it's not living, you know, right. and people yeah. are escaping from the city because they can't afford to have a meaningful life uh exactly. even though it's one of the most beautiful places in the world and they had a foothold and yeah. i just think it's so sad did you did you see in like the the campaign uh at least uh online went by the moniker yang gang and i'm wondering <laughs> if that um a- adversarial nature towards big tech was uh, uh was it a formal part of the campaign or was it an ethos like or or was that that more something that you personally felt I mean, I, it's interesting because the public narrative, the public narrative on this went in many different directions. Like, of course, like at first, like, I mean, like everyone, every single mass media outlet wanted to push the whole Andrew Yang is a Silicon Valley tech billionaire. He's like, a, I feel like he's sort of adjacent with it, but his actually, um, he, his money came from this like test prep company. And then he like founded Venture for America after the 2008 financial crisis. Because he was like, oh, shit, everyone I just went to these elite high schools and colleges with just, like, went to Wall Street and tanked the fucking economy. I should do something. Mm. Like, that's his whole ethos. And I think, so, like, anyway, to loop back to your question again, um, I think a lot of people who weren't in the campaign were confused on whether it was, like, um, for big tech or against big tech. And I think that it's um, it's sort of just this an acknowledgement of the kind of, world that we're living in honestly i feel like because i mean when we talk about like the socialism capitalism dichotomy like i like it just feels outdated and this feels like the first step step towards like shifting towards um a like a vocabulary a political vocabulary that in, has room for this sort of stuff and like mm. has room for like i, I mean like because the internet is crazy and like it's changed our entire world and we're just we're just now i think we're just now realizing the extent of it 
and sort of just like, okay, well, where do we go from here? You know, Maria, can you tell us a little bit about, um, you know, what you think might be next for you and, and where you think, uh, you know, from your experience, several months in, in the, 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 the heat with the Yang gang, what <laughs> happens next, uh, you know, for, for Andrew, for the people who, um, who worked with him, I know there was, I want to ask, you know, as part of that question, there was some controversy early on that, uh, that Andrew was bringing like professional memers into the campaign and that like some of those might have been people that would also have memed for Trump in the past. Oh and, yeah. I was actually going to bring this up. Yeah. Um, cause I actually like, I got, like, I got acquainted with some of these people. He was people saw their allegiance to Andrew as sort of like Andrew nodding towards like Andrew giving them a nod. I think, but um, in my experience, like Andrew de-radicalized a lot of those people. And like, mm. like I had a coworker who like, who was like, yeah, like I was, I had a lot of influence and I like, I like back in 2016, you know, like I had a lot of influence. I was fucking stupid. I was young and on the internet. And like, we just made a lot of edgy shit. Cause like, I don't know, none of these politicians care about us. Like, what are you going to do about it, you know? Mm. Like, uh, what do they do? What if you're a Yang Gang memer, what do you do now that, you know, uh, that the, the, the <laughs> Andrew is off the playing field? There's still a presidential race going on. Yeah, I mean, like, honestly, now I'm just going to sit back and, like, get my fucking popcorn. They <laughs> <laughs> uh, haven't take the hindmost. Yeah. yeah, I mean, um, we're taking, I mean, we are definitely taking a leaf out of, like, the Bernie 2016 coalitions book and that like, we're just giving like, we're like, okay, like we got, we got further than anyone thought we would. We're going to take these four years to organize and make sure that like there, that candidates who support our vision are supported financially. And like, you know, we're going to keep doing this shit. And I think that honestly, like we pulled out at the perfect time, like even down to, even down to the minute, I think Zach and Andrew and everyone like, they did that really well by pulling out early the night of the New Hampshire primary because it was sort of this deal. It was like we didn't we didn't get the traction that we needed to in Iowa because Iowa was a fucking shit show. And then um, like new like it, our thing in New Hampshire was like you know um, basically everyone we talked to had Yang in their top three, but he was always slightly edged out, and I, I think people just weren't ready. Rank choice voting. He needs to put rank choice voting on the agenda with the freedom dividend, and then he would do a lot yeah, better. He wants rank choice. He wants rank choice voting, and um, yeah, I don't know. It's really it was really interesting watching like people's minds change. Like, oh my god, people people, the club surge in New Hampshire. Like seeing it happen, like IRL, fucking brutal. Oh god, Amy signs popping up overnight on street corners. Nightmare. Follow me on Twitter, Guriam Ray. Um, I'm pretty funny sometimes. Um, yeah, I'm ex- uh Well, I'm obviously, root. I'm obviously rooting for you guys. Like going, like in the home stretch of the primary, because like I don't know what the fuck is going on, but it's not good. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of how everybody feels today. <laughs> like, like a lot of the Yang Gang is behind Bernie, and I think that a lot of. Um, we have the same, we have the same goals. We just differ in the methods and and the terminology that we use to describe it, which I think sometimes leads to more rifts than we Mm. would need. But I think now, especially that 
Andrew, like, Andrew has four years to sort of, like, develop and, like, grow his, grow his, grow his shit like Bernie did. Um, I sort of think of Bernie's camp as, like, the, the modern progressive faction because it's fucking huge. But, like, I'm hoping that, like, as we, as the Yang gang <laughs> becomes more established, we can all coalesce and then, like, uh, jump Jeff Bezos and take all his money. <laughs> So it's looking at a couple of stories in Wired this week. One is uh, entitled, uh, Can the Government Buy Its Way Around the Fourth Amendment? And uh, the answer, at least in the story, is yes. Uh, Because so many of the apps on our phone, the apps on our computers, uh, are sniffing a lot of data and then selling that to aggregators, uh, we're now finding that immigration authorities are purchasing cell phone location data to hunt down uh, our brothers and sisters and uh, non-gender conforming individuals. And this is uh, pretty fucking scary. And I'd say that it uh, is part of why uh, having someone like Andrew Yang in the conversation is so important to American politics. We're just not, uh, our laws are not keeping up with what's happening. And uh, we've you know definitely got the fox guarding the hen house in terms of bloated, uh, billionaires um, making the rules and profiting uh, off of things like family separation uh, and deportations and immigrant detentions. Another story from Wired this week was a really uh, long piece about uh, Mark Zuckerberg's lost notebook. And this is Stephen uh, Levy, who's written uh, a lot about Mark Zuckerberg over the years, but he specifically uh, recovered parts of this notebook, which apparently were, uh, the notebook itself was destroyed by Mark Zuckerberg, but it talks about early philosophy behind Facebook. And one of the things you see consistently is that Zuckerberg was looking for growth and he was looking for users to be happy and content and sharing and inviting their friends, uh, regardless of whether their privacy was actually protected, like literally uh, making sure they felt comfortable whether or not uh, they should feel comfortable. Um, so I, it doesn't sound too different from the Facebook of today, but it's a, it's an interesting read. A lot of news this week uh, that I'm not really going to get too far into because there's plenty of coverage elsewhere on the internet, but um, Mike Bloomberg has been uh, paying people to make memes and statements of support. And uh, the story has been kind of coming out in a trickle. First, it was he's paying people $150, which at $150 a pop, you could buy the entire Clinton popular vote from 2016 uh, for less than $10 billion, which would be a sixth of uh, the Bloomberg fortune. Um, but we're starting to see those posts from bigger influencers, people from, uh, from Fuck Jerry, which is a brand uh, influencer agency. They've started, a, I think it's called Meme 2020, and it's, it's now it's a project specifically for Michael Bloomberg. And we're seeing which uh, like brand influencers are taking the money and which ones are not. And I'm sure they're getting a lot more than 150. 150 was just for, uh, I think, people who have more than 1,000 followers on a social network. But in contrast to that, I really loved uh, the article that came out uh, uh, just this week uh, in Jacobin from Megan Day. Uh, and she says, the passion of Bernie's base is the path to victory. And it just kind of talks about how when people try to shame uh, Bernie's online supporters, and we were talking, you know, about how the, 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 most of the Yang Gang uh, were doing it for free. Most of the Bernie supporters do it for free. Uh, it's only, 
you know, if you're an oligarch that you have to go and pay everyone to say nice things about you and they do it. But I loved the closing uh, line of this article. It says, it means you must work to take this movement all the way with a passion and fury your opponents can hardly comprehend, much less extinguish. And I hope you'll read the whole article. Um, USA Today writing this week about uh, Colin Kaepernick. Uh, he was talking about his uh, own memoir and also uh, how he plans his own uh, publishing arm. And I think that uh, it's actually a partnership with Audible um, and Kaepernick Publishing. He says, I learned early on that in fighting against systematic oppression, dehumanization, and colonization, who controls the narrative shapes the reality of the of how the world views society. It controls who's loved, who's hated, who's degraded, and who's celebrated. Um, so that's what it's about. When you're out there trying to shape the narrative, that is what it is about. Uh, another a terrible Bloomberg story. Bloomberg's hiring so many operatives, local and state campaigns are starving for help. This is Ryan Grimm writing in The Intercept. Um, and basically, so many progressive campaigns, uh, grassroots campaigns can barely pay a staff. Um, and now all of a sudden we've got Michael Bloomberg offering uh, thousands of people laptops and iPhones and $6,000 a week to run around again, preaching the Bloomberg gospel. Uh, and it's severely impacting the uh, grassroots on the down ballot. Now, if you're not grassroots, you can endorse Bloomberg and then he'll probably give you uh, PAC money. So, uh, democracy dying right before our eyes, and uh, really, it's only the grassroots talking about it, so we have to keep talking. Uh, and then, uh, the last story I wanted to mention uh, on, on this week's episode is uh, from The Guardian, and this I saw through some of our former guests, um, who, Lawrence, I think, who was on uh, our show talking about Google firing organizers. Uh, this, uh, it says, quote, they'll squash you like a bug, end quote. How Silicon Valley keeps a lid on leakers. And it says, uh, working for a tech company may sound like fun and ping pong, but behind the facade is a ruthless code of secrecy and retribution for those who break it. Now, the, this one really jumped out for me because um, Pinkerton, uh, and this is the Pinkerton that used to break up uh, labor uh, movements, uh, you know, uh, they're as old as fascism. And uh, Pinkerton is offering to send investigators to coffee shops and restaurants near a company's campus to eavesdrop on employees' conversations. We hear something about a new product or new business venture, something to do with stocks. We'll feed that information back to corporate security. Um, Facebook and Google deny using the service, um, but uh, deny using that service. Yeah, so they're using Pinkerton, but they're not actually uh, having them hang out and pretend to be uh, tech workers in the cafeteria. Uh, wink, wink. Uh, lots to be angry about. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, I want to mention, uh, before we jump into the tech tip, I want to uh, mention a story I read in the Texas Tribune. I was talking about the Democratic primary uh, to challenge uh, Cornyn in Texas for the U.S. Senate seat in Texas. And this race has a lot of folks in it, including um, Sima Hernandez, who was uh, a candidate last time and got 24% uh, of the vote. And I saw this story because people are pushing it to say that one or the other of the candidates are performing best. 
But the polling shows that 56% of people are undecided and the front runners are tightly tied in the single digits. And so one of the things that came up with uh, Iowa and New Hampshire and the meltdown of Joe Biden's chances at the US presidency is just that all of these polls for a year have put him as the front runner. It was like a very small fraction that had Bernie as the front runner nationally. And this Texas poll seems very similar. These polls are absolutely meaningless, but huge amounts of coverage goes into them and they shape the narrative. So this is why uh, it's so important for the grassroots to shape the narrative so that junk polling doesn't shape the narrative. Uh, finally, uh, tech tip for today. Uh, on one of the first episodes of this show, we talked about um, how to get uh, Twitter videos and repost them without um, losing attribution or having to quote tweet the original uh, poster uh, for a video. Because I, I think it's uh, generally good to make sure that you're citing someone who first uh, surfaced a video or, you know, uh, made a video, um, but you don't always want to quote tweet them and, and you want to maybe put a new spin on it. So we talked about that. It's, um, it must be less complicated than I thought because people seem to share with attribution all the time, even though it's not easy on twitter.com. You actually have to like go into the code of a tweet and, and grab a certain URL, but other apps that people use for Twitter must be making this much easier. So I might be hamstringing myself by using twitter.com so much. But what I wanted to share today is that when one of your ideological enemies shares a video and you want to share it, you don't need to give them attribution. What you need to do is rip the video and share it in a way that it gets your message out without giving them valor. Uh, and I see this too much, like left-wingers retweeting stuff from uh, right-wing uh, wrecking crews and boosting their, their views. People also do it with Bloomberg videos, just racking up huge viral views for Bloomberg videos um, that they disagree with. And I'm sure there's like agency folks getting bonuses based on the virality of some of these really kind of stupid Bloomberg ads. So uh, you can use, if you want to rip video, you can use twittervideodownloader.com. On Facebook, you can use getfvid.com forward slash downloader. For YouTube, uh, y2mate.com forward slash YouTube. But if you search rip video and the service you want to pull it from, uh, lots of ways to rip video. You just drop the URL from the social media post and pull the video down. These are sites are mostly uh, ad generating, uh, ad revenue generating sites. So it's, they're simple tools for getting your MOV or MP4 video uh, for posting. And that is the tech tip for today. Don't reward your enemies with virality. Mm -hmm.